0: Welcome to On The Mark, a podcast series that explores the effect of various businesses of the COVID pandemic and how companies have adapted to survive and thrive during these difficult times and how they intend those changes to help their businesses in the future. I am your host, Howard Mark Rubin, and this podcast series came about as a result of my realization that as a senior partner in the law firm of Getz Fitzpatrick, representing businesses, as an advisor and corporate attorney for over 30 years, that this pandemic, more than anything else during my time as an attorney, has permanently changed the way businesses are being done in New York and around the world. It has had such a diverse effect on industries and the people who work in those industries that I felt it was important to address what is the reality, what is the fiction, and what the future holds. This podcast series is sponsored by the Strategic Forum which was founded in 1999 in New York City and expanded in 2004 to South Florida. It's an organization consisting of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and business leaders who believe in forming deep business and personal relationships based on mutual respect, trust, and continuing learning and intellectual enrichment. Uh, Every podcast has one member of the strategic forum and one prominent guest in the industry we're exploring. And the industry we're exploring today is New York City retailers, And the theme is actually going to be a little more specific than that. We're talking about New York City retailers who have been around before the Great Depression. And we have two guests today. One is Clifford uh, Corn, who uh, is an operator of Acker Wines, which has been around since 1820. And uh, I guess a relative newcomer, Ken Gidden, who is the co-owner... Of Rothmans. Rothmans is where I got my first bar mitzvah suit uh, back in the 1960s, and uh, it's still around, and and, and I'm sure Ken's going to tell us how it's thriving. He's a third-generation owner, I believe, of of the company, and uh, it should be a very interesting and uh, exciting podcast. Why don't we start off with this? Uh, Cliff, why don't you tell us about uh, Ackerwines and what they do uh, for the viewers that aren't familiar with it?
1: Sure. So, um, as you mentioned, uh, we were founded in 1820, uh, which makes us the oldest wine shop currently in the United States. Uh, after the repeal of Prohibition, the family that uh, currently owns it, the Capon family, bought the the name and the uh, wine license uh, from Acker Maryland, Condit, uh, and... Uh, One of the one of the rules in New York was uh, after the repeal was that you couldn't have a chain. Ackermarill was a chain of gourmet food and wines and accessories and housewares uh, all up and down the East Coast. Um, So they wanted to continue the chain. So they sold the wine portion off to the Capon family. Um, And the reason they didn't change the name, I always get a kick out of this, especially in the current environment, is because they wanted to be first in the phone book. So, Acker was the first wine store in the phone book in New York, so that's why they decided to keep the original name.
0: So, there's no odd um, rock. There's no odd rock wines in New York.
1: Is that there, there, right? Well, there there's might no? be now, but uh, back back in the day, the, we were number one nice.
2: alphabetically. At least. <laughs>
1: um, and uh, currently, um, the the store is still on the Upper West Side, our brick and mortar store. Uh, and the way I like to uh, refer to our company is we're a global company with a neighborhood feel so we have offices in london and paris and hong kong uh and we're growing we just expanded into delaware uh earlier this year for our auctions um but the the brick and mortar store uh has been in this location since 1985 and from the repeal of prohibition until 1985 we were on 87th street and broadway and i still get calls from people who think we're still up there because They've never been into the store. They just order and we deliver and, and have no idea that we've moved further south. Um,
0: okay, well, thank you. Thank you, Cliff. Uh, and, and Ken, uh, I know that I, I haven't been in Rothmans in a while, but uh, I know it's thriving, and I know under your leadership, your third generation, uh, the business is probably different than the Rothmans I remember when I got my Bar Mitzvah suit. Tell me what Rothmans is doing today and, and how they're uh, adapting.
2: Well, I mean, it's definitely different than when you were there. Uh, the company was founded in 1926 by my grandfather, Harry Rothman. And uh, he um, he started with a push cart on the Lower East Side and uh, ended up creating like the first discounter in the United States. Um, he used to uh, go to the big manufacturers that were in New York uh, and he would buy their overruns and started selling them out of his pushcart, and then got to a store and then kind of became um you know one of the the leading names in the menswear industry and was doing this before all the chain discounters came along and he had a nice run in like the 1940s 50s 60s 70s and then in the 80s it got a little tired um he was in his 80s and his brother was his partner and uh, they were both in their 80s and it was going to shut down um i was a bond trader in boston and my parents asked me to come down to help close the store because I was the closest thing to a businessman in the family. Um, And so I put off business school and got this crazy idea to close it and then reopen it. So I reopened it in 1986. And we started off as a discounter and just kind of evolved over time. And now um, we're one of the larger independent menswear stores, uh, multi-brand menswear stores in the country. And whereas we used to sell you know, tons of suits from Canali and Xenia and Boss. We now um, have pivoted and sell a lot more casual, where we now um, are one of the leading stores in the country for like J Brand Jeans and Joe's Jeans and and a lot of Billy Reed and Faherty and all these other lines. We spend a lot of time curating. Um, We're not a discounter anymore. And um, to get back to your original question, what have we done to adapt? Well, certainly... um, you know one of the biggest things we had to do was we had to work on our cost structure um we went from about 40 employees to about 10 right now um but we're kind of in the duck and cover mode where we're just trying to keep our expenses down change our um change our mix of product to uh, be uh more in touch with what everybody's wearing basically pajamas and sweatpants and uh until we get back into uh the real world. And we think that's coming pretty soon. And our job is kind of just to get over the bridge uh, to the next level. And uh, we've pushed our online business dramatically. It's up about a thousand percent, but it's a thousand percent off a very low number. So, you know, that's been a challenge too. But every day we're coming up, we just keep getting knocked down and uh, we're resilient. And I, what I always like to say is that the most important tool in our small business uh, toolbox is resilience, and that's what we work on every day. Hmm.
0: Well, thank you, Ken. You know, Ken, I know that uh, Acker Wines uh, has pivoted a lot to uh, doing more business online. Has your business uh, uh, gone to uh, doing business online or doing more business online, or is it all walk-in store business?
2: It's, you know, it's probably still, online is probably still only 5% of our business at best, Um, but it was 1% when the at the beginning of the pandemic, so great improvement, but we've got a long way to go.
0: And where do you see that going uh, in the future? Do you see that part of the business expanding more,
2: or do you? Yeah, uh... I think I think it has to be treated for us, and I'm sure Acker already does this. But we, you know, we were behind on this because we were truly a brick and mortar operation. We also have stores in Bronxville and in Scarsdale, smaller stores, not as big as our 11,000 square foot store. Um, near Union Square on 18th and Park. But, um, you know, we have to think of our online business as a fourth store. And, uh, and I think it ultimately should be, you know, more like 20% of our business. Um, Men still want to shop in person, and I think that will come back. But um, it's certainly, uh, we have to be ready for that change
0: and uh, uh cliff uh i know i've i've, I've heard uh john cape on the chairman of acker wines talk about how the his the business of acker has pivoted towards a digital strategy during the pandemic and uh, he also spoke about the consumer demand uh during this time can you uh, address that as to uh, what's acker's doing to uh, pivot to the digital strategy and consumer demands
1: sure um uh you know, having a, a transactional website that reflects the personality and the, you know, the exact inventory um, is, is critical. Um, but I think that the biggest challenge, which, um, you know, both of us are, are experiencing is we've always been a, a very personal touch type of place where people come for expertise and they like the exchange of information and they like to learn. And to bring that type of experience to a website, uh, to social media, is a little more challenging. And so bringing uh, experts in the area besides ourselves and having um, uh, winemakers from all over the world do virtual tastings with us. Um, wine is a very social product and by the very nature of the pandemic, we're supposed to isolate. So one of the things that we have really tried to do is bring that social aspect of wine Ah. to people while they're isolating and kind of bring that feel of friendship and community back, uh, when so much of it is being taken away.
0: And have, have you found that the, uh, consumer taste in wine online differs in in what they were buying in the stores is there a difference in the in the the selection that they're they're leaning towards
1: well when when you don't have the direct interaction with someone who can point you towards something maybe you've never tried before or you've never heard of before a different producer or area it's tougher to go outside your comfort zone um, unless you're just more adventurous, you know, by nature. So I would say, you know, some of the bigger brands, some of the more famous uh, uh, producers are what's driving that online business. I think we still have a little ways to go to get that, um, that expertise on, a, on an individual basis so that people uh, try different things. But we're working on it. We have a couple of different things that we're, we're trying to implement that would um, help drive sales a little bit more towards the smaller producers.
0: And, and Ken, I wanted to ask you, you know, Rothman's has always been known for carrying the top brands, uh, the Canalis, the, uh, the Peter Millars. Uh, but I think you mentioned before that uh, part of the shift, because people are staying home more, is towards the, uh, the I think, believe you said uh, the pajama type, uh, you know, casual yeah. kind of wear. Uh, how do you, isn't that more of a commodity? I would think you'd have a trouble competing with uh, the, uh, let's say, the marshals of the world, uh, yeah. which, which carry that, that, you know, that's their target area, where your target area has always been more upscale. How do you address that? Yeah,
2: I mean, people, it is a commodity, and our job, is to curate what we think is the best of the best in that, in those areas. For instance, I'm a guy, even though I own a store that sells a lot of suits, I'm a guy that wears a hoodie every day. I was doing it long before Mark Zuckerberg, but uh, (laughs) the, so our job is to find the best damn hoodie out there. And we found a manufacturer out of Brooklyn, a young woman, and uh, it's called software. And we sold like 800 of them, uh, this past fall, it's the softest hoodie in the world and it's eighty-eight dollars. And we literally can't get more and we're waiting for our next shipment, like in a month or two. And so our job's to go out there and you know, scratch around and find, curate, find all these great products. And people, you know, there's entrepreneurs out there every day trying to build a better mousetrap. And our job's to find that better mousetrap. And so we found an independent guy who was making what we called like the best zoom shirt out there it was a knit shirt made in a dress shirt factory so it felt like a t-shirt but it looked good on a zoom call i actually called zoom and tried to get them to you know maybe (laughs) co-brand it with us but they didn't really go for that um but that's our job find like the great version of a sweatpants find a great hoodie find a great zoom shirt keep keep you know scratching around and finding um the best product because our guy wants like Our guy wants his shopping to be efficient and rewarding. And, you know, he's a more upscale customer and he appreciates us doing the legwork because men are fairly incompetent in shopping online compared to women. I know that's, you know, sort of a uh, preconception, but it's pretty much true.
0: And do you, Ken, do you uh, see after, after the pandemic, we'll talk the the post-vaccine world, do you see people going back and wearing suits and ties the way that they used to? Or do you think this uh, this shift to casual uh, is going to be more permanent?
2: I might be in the minority and um, I might be speaking my hand, but I think the fall, people are going to get really dressed up. I think people are so sick of wearing their sweatpants. I think people are going to dress up. It's going to be a way, an escape to say we're back in business. And I think it's actually going to goes strongly in the other direction especially for younger people
0: that's that's uh that's what i'm hoping it's uh it's okay i I go into the office and i see jeans it's just uh somehow it's just not right in the law office or or most businesses anyway uh cliff can i add
2: one thing to that sure which is you know when i pay a lawyer I don't want him
0: wearing jeans. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you pay him enough, he won't. <laughs> you pay extra for the uh, for the uh, the Canali suit. Anyway, Cliff, I wanted to ask you about the uh, the auction business that uh, that uh, that Acker is really known for. It's, uh, I think, becoming a, a big part of the business. Has has that changed? Has that grown because of this uh, pandemic? Are they doing more of that business?
1: So um, I, as, a, as, a, as a precursor, um, before the pandemic uh, started and was even kind of in, in view, uh, we made an internal decision. We had been doing one online auction per month that would start on the first and go to the second Sunday. And it was very successful, and people enjoyed bidding in that environment rather than the live have to bid right when the hammer's coming. Um, and it was very good. And for whatever reason, you know, internally, we decided that uh, in, in around June of 2019, we were going to go from one a month to one a week. And so that there was always something online for people to bid on and just they would be smaller, a little more focused. Uh, but there's always an opportunity. And I think that decision um helped us tremendously because I think that especially during the beginning part of the pandemic, when there wasn't very much new entertainment and people were really holed up, I think it it gave people a release to go online and just have some fun and, and bid and, and, and just spend a few hours on the website reading about wines. And that by itself uh, was, was a tremendous help for our business. Um, In addition, our, our live auctions, Um, we had already taken steps to uh, be more online and to uh, simulcast to different rooms so that when we no longer had a room with people and it was just all virtual, we already had the technology in place. And so we kind of hit the ground running and we didn't have any interruption and that helped tremendously. Um, So, yeah, the, the, the demand for these wines now has never been great. And so the opportunity to present them in, uh, in a fashion that's easy to use and, um, uh, works, uh, was obviously really helpful.
0: You know, I, I noticed that in both of your, uh, businesses and industries, uh, there was a, uh, a great shift uh, a while back to, uh, warehouse sales. Uh, I know there was, uh, in the clothing business, the men's clothing business, there was Men's Warehouse. I don't think that worked out so well. But there was a, a shift of uh, having these uh, large uh, discounters uh, that Rothmans did on a smaller scale. But um, uh, there were some that uh, Sims and, and such that uh, didn't make it. It didn't uh, didn't work for them. And in the in the wine business, I, I think it's also uh, you see. I think it's called Bottle King and some of these uh, shops that are selling, I guess, mostly lower end wines, the both, I'll ask you both this question is, is the way that you distinguish yourself from, uh, the mass market and really your target audience so that you're not competing for the lower end is that, uh, you just try to get the best of the best, the best wines, the best brands of clothing, the, uh, something that's unique. Is that how you're, you're trying to target the audience? Uh, Ken, let me ask you that first.
2: Yeah, I think I mean, it's a very good question. Um, What what the big box stores did was it helped us define who we are, and to know that that's not a business we want to be in. And our job um, was to get to make our stores more of a clubhouse, sort of playing off what Cliff said, um, where guys feel comfortable, and and then find a product that gives great value, and whether it's higher price stuff or mid-priced stuff or even some lower price stuff. As long as you're doing your work, curating, and finding great value, we think that people will still come to us. And on the commodity business, if they want to go buy three suits or seven for one or whatever it is, Joseph Banks. And a um, pair of shoes. They throw in a pair of and shoes and socks and, I mean, and an overcoat. <laughs> right. We can't compete with that, and we don't particularly want to compete with that. So there's plenty of customers out there. And our job is to stay in our lane and do what we do best. Right. And
0: Cliff, uh, you're not looking to compete with the, the warehouse uh, wine shops like the Bottle. I, bottle King is one that I, I think of, but I know there's several others. Uh, that's not your competition, there's a, right?
1: There's a lot. I mean, and there are there are competition in, to a certain degree for a certain business. Um, but, uh, you know, it, advice I was given when I first started was, you know, it's always nice to taste and evaluate the expensive wines and decide which ones you want to get behind. But I was always told, spend more time on the $10, 15 20 $30 wines, because there's a lot more pitfalls out there. And that's where your expertise is going to come into play. And so while we might not have 47 different options, we're going to have the best $10 option. We're going to have the best $15 option and you know you don't have to drink a thousand dollar bottle of wine every day to enjoy wine and we're here to make sure whatever your desire is for that particular you know meal or party or whatever that we give you something that is curated and is something that we we're proud of and we stand behind and um you know that's the challenge and You know, there are times when we're not going to be able to compete with a price on a certain thing, but for the most part, we can come up with alternatives to meet any, any request.
0: Well, I think that uh, both of your businesses are very similar in in the target audience that you're uh, approaching and your approach to a business to, to get the, uh, get the best and, uh, and the people who want the best, that's the people that you're going to attract. Uh, I think we're getting close to the end now, but I, I do want to ask both of you, is there anything, uh, Ken, that you'd like to, um, uh, convey that, that we haven't discussed as to uh, the business in the future and, and how you see the menswear business, uh, going on after, uh, COVID?
2: Yeah, I would say, you know, a line that, uh, I like to use a lot is the obituary of New York has been written many times and it's always proved to be false. Um, you know, New York's taking a hit, but New York is going to come back. New York reminds me right now of when I first got to New York in the eighties, where it's a little grittier, it's a little more entrepreneurial. And, uh, in some ways it's a little more fun. And, um, you know, I think, uh, the city's going to come roaring back. Um, You know, we've, we've, uh, you know, we're we're in a situation where we're trying to figure out our next steps in regard to the real estate in New York. And, uh, you know, the clothing business, I think, is going to come back strong. It's all about, you know, our job has been kind of to survive over the last year. And uh, so far, we've done that. And we're looking forward to, you know, moving forward and moving forward with excitement and passion about the business.
0: Well, that's great. And Cliff, is there anything that you'd like to add about uh, the business and how you view it in the future and coming out of this uh, pandemic?
1: Well, you know, again, you know, that that concept of survival um, is is important. And 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 when you're when you're forced into different circumstances, you you learn more about yourself and your own resiliency. And there are things that you learn that you can carry with you. You know, we, we were on the forefront of doing these virtual tastings. That, uh, and, and that, I think, is something that's here to stay. Uh, I think we'll be able to take what we've learned and, and make that an active part of our business when we do get back to normal. Um, I think that uh, to be in business as long as both of our companies have been, we've been able to react to different things, both positive and negative. You know, we could during during the hottest times, you have to have an idea that it's not going to continue like that forever and make sure that you have a business model that continues to work. And I think with the trust that we've built with our clients, just like Ken, I think that's going to carry us through. And, uh, and and I'm excited to see, uh, you know, how we can continue this path. And I had a question for Ken. How do I get one of the sweatshirts? <laughs> <laughs> you
2: got to wait like another month. But um, well, I, okay. will, I will remind you. you go, go I'm re- wearing one now. <laughs> I, I,
0: I, I'm jealous too, Ken. Uh, okay, I want to get one of those first. sweatshirts too. That's, that's <laughs> what I live in these days. So There's yeah. one other question I wanted to ask before we wrap up, uh, and that's the government's uh, response. Uh, what do you think of the, for the retailers in New York in terms of closing things down, opening things up, the uh, the wearing of masks, the mandatory or non-mandatory wearing of masks. Ken, what do you think of the government's response
2: and uh, to all of that? Well, you know, I'm a pretty political guy, so you don't want to get me too involved in that. But <laughs> okay. you're, um, not gonna,
0: you're not going to do a QAnon speech. You're not one of those QAnon yeah, guys. I, no, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the
2: other <laughs> side. Oh, okay. Like, wear a damn mask. <laughs> okay, but, right. Um, um, you know, on a federal level, you know, as much as I – not happy with the federal government you know the PPP loan was a you know it it helped and it it's basically um it's a bridge loan to get us through to the other side and I think aside from some of the rules that were instituted at the beginning like that you know 70% had to be for payroll um and then 60 on the new one I mean those were cumbersome but overall um the federal response is clearly helpful um you know, the city, there's been a lot of missteps from the city and the state, but, you know, listen, this is all new turf and, you know, everyone always likes to complain, but I don't know who would have done a much better job, um, you know, than what we had. Everyone's going to make mistakes and, and hopefully, uh, you know, you do your best.
0: Right. Cliff, uh, do you have any comments on the job the government's doing uh, in uh, this COVID situation?
1: Without getting too controversial, I you know, I will say that, you know, the our industry, our, our partnered industry, the restaurant business, has has just been been crushed by the the, the varying rules and, and lockdowns and all that and and I I think that there's just a lack of understanding of how that industry works, um for them to expect to be able to survive at 25% or outdoors when there's you know a foot and a half of snow and and all these different things it's just i, I don't know if that response was was the right one but you know i we've, uh, it, we've done some like podcasts like said
0: we've done podcasts in, in the restaurant industry and and, and it's a really terrible uh, situation we've done high end restaurants like uh, blue hill and uh, some uh Casual restaurants and they're they're affected, but you don't really sell to to the restaurants, right? You sell more to the consumer. We don't.
1: But but they're but a lot of the a lot of our clients are similar. A lot of our, you know, a lot of the restaurants um, participate in our auctions, you know, and they're friends. You know, we 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 interact with them and it just seems odd that it's been singled out as opposed to other industries. You know, um, we need to eat. Uh, it 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 employs a lot of the people who are kind of in the worst danger from this because you know you look at waiters and stock people and 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 things like that they're not they're not the people that have a huge you know bank account that they could take six months off and be fine it's just it's it just it's sad to see but you know we have to do what we have to do and hopefully we can all help them back when they get back
0: well Cliff and Ken, I want to thank you. I think this has been fascinating, and I think uh, our listeners will uh, be very uh, interested in, uh, in your viewpoints on this. And if anyone wants uh, further information, they can contact the uh, Strategic Forum at uh, TonyAnne, T-O-N-I-A-N-N-E, at com, or myself at the law firm of Getz Fitzpatrick. And uh, if you want to speak to any of the... Uh, any of the uh, participants in the podcast. I'd certainly put you in contact with them. But uh, I think everyone out there wants to get that hoodie, Ken. So uh, I think it's going to be a crush. You better, you better order some more because I think yeah, it's going go to be on, a, a really popular room. item. <laughs> yes,
2: Rothman's NYC Instagram, and we'll put it up there as soon as it gets there.
0: All right. There, so. Well, thank both of you, and uh, looking forward to uh, post-COVID world. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, thanks for having us. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Howard. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye.